but these two were never used, and Mrs. Melrose insisted that Yvette recycle the same poor pile of plain linen from the smaller cupboard by the door. Eleanor Melrose stormed her way up the shallow steps from the kitchen to the drive. Had she walked more slowly, she might have tottered, stopped, and sat down in despair on the low wall that ran along the side of the steps. She felt defiantly sick in a way she dared not challenge with food, and had already aggravated with a cigarette. She had brushed her teeth after vomiting, but the bilious taste was still in her mouth. She had brushed her teeth before vomiting as well, never able to utterly crush the optimistic streak in her nature. The mornings had grown cooler since the beginning of September, and the air already smelt of autumn, but this hardly mattered to Eleanor, who was sweating through the thick layers of powder on her forehead. With each step she pushed her hands against her knees to help her forward, staring down through huge dark glasses at the white canvas shoes on her pale feet, her dark pink raw silk trousers like hot peppers clinging to her legs. She imagined vodka poured over ice, and all the cubes that had been frosted turning clear and collapsing in the glass, and the ice cracking, like a spine in the hands of a confident osteopath. All the sticky, awkward cubes of ice floating together, tinkling, their frost thrown off to the side of the glass, and the vodka cold and unctuous in her mouth. The drive rose sharply to the left of the steps, to a circle of flat ground, where her maroon Buick was parked under an umbrella pine. It looked preposterous, stretched out on its white-walled tyres, against the terraced vines and olive groves behind it. But to Eleanor, her car was like a consulate in a strange city, and she moved towards it with the urgency of a robbed tourist. Globules of translucent resin were stuck to the Buick's bonnet. One splash of resin with a dead pine needle inside it was glued to the base of the windscreen. She tried to pick it off, but only smeared the windscreen more and made the tips of her fingers sticky. She wanted to get into the car very much, but she went on scratching compulsively at the resin, blackening her fingernails. The reason that Eleanor liked her Buick so much was that David never drove it, or even sat in it. She owned the house and the land, she paid for the servants and the drink, but only this car was really in her possession. When she had first met David twelve years ago, she had been fascinated by his looks. The expression that men feel entitled to wear when they stare out of a cold English drawing-room onto their own land had grown stubborn over five centuries and perfected itself in David's face. It was never quite clear to Eleanor why the English thought it was so distinguished to have done nothing for a long time in the same place, but David left her in no doubt that they did. He was also descended from Charles II through a prostitute, I keep quiet about that if I were you, she had joked when he first told her. Instead of smiling, he had turned his profile towards her in a way she had grown to loathe, thrusting out his underlip and looking as if he were exercising great tolerance by not saying something crushing. There had been a time when she admired the way that David became a doctor. When he had told his father of his intention, General Melrose had immediately cut off his annuity preferring to use the money to rear pheasants. Shooting men and animals were the occupations of a gentleman, tending their wounds the business of middle-class quacks.
That was the general's view, and he was able to enjoy more shooting as a consequence of holding it. General Melrose did not find it difficult to treat his son coldly. The first time he had taken an interest in him was when David left Eton, and his father asked him what he wanted to do. David stammered, I'm afraid I don't know, sir, not daring to admit that he wanted to compose music. It had not escaped the general's attention that his son fooled about on the piano, and he rightly judged that a career in the army would put a curb on this effeminate impulse. Better join the army, he said, offering his son a cigar with awkward camaraderie. And yet to Eleanor, David had seemed so different from the tribe of minor English snobs and distant cousins who hung around, ready for an emergency or for a weekend, full of memories that were not even their own, memories of the way their grand.